0: Musical linguistic objects.
1: Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And uh, along with me, virtually at least, are several fellow saloners who have made donations to help with the expenses here in the salon. So a great big thank you goes out to Edgar A. Anomi, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, our regular monthly donor, Mark C., who writes, Lorenzo, I appreciate the diversity in featured speakers that you've included lately, and was wondering if you have any talks from Robert Anton Wilson, Marshall McLuhan, Aldous Huxley, or Andrew Weil. Thanks, Mark. Well, uh, thank you again, Mark, and... Uh, I agree that we could uh, use some more talks by those great minds that you just mentioned. But as of now, I don't have anything available from any of them, uh, anything that's not copyrighted at least. So uh, if you or any of our fellow saloners can find some of those talks for us to use, I'll be sure to play them here. Also, uh, I want to mention that my uh, Pay What You Can audio book has now sold 21 copies since I uh, announced that in August. And I'm uh, putting your contributions to good use here in the salon and uh, on another little project that I hope to be able to announce next week. So uh, a big thank you goes out to all of you as well. And uh, then there is uh, longtime saloner Michael DeSorcio whose movie Tryptozane is now available in DVD, and uh, he sent me a copy along with the following letter. Dear Lorenzo, Finally, Tryptozane is done. I have you and Matteo to thank for many of the changes I made. It is now available to the general public at Amazon, or, better yet, through com. I have also enclosed a copy of my novel, milky way marmalade and hysterically funny off the wall romp about how rock music saves the universe from an anti-music fascist has very psychedelic undertones and uh, some overtones also enclosed is a terence mckenna lecture you may have heard but i have not heard it on your show it is called the Rights of spring and it is one of my favorites And finally, a small donation to the show. Your podcasts have been so inspirational to me, as was your book, and I wish I could do more. Thanks. One day soon, we will meet in person and chat about life, the universe, and everything. Peace, Michael DeCercio. Well, uh, Mike, I can't thank you enough for all of those goodies, uh, which also included a very generous donation to the salon as well. And uh, I've got a link to the Tryptosone trailer on my personal blog and on my Facebook page as well. Uh, Plus, I'll put one with uh, the program notes here. So if you get a chance, you may want to uh, check it out and give Mike some of your support as well. Now, getting on with today's program, if you were paying attention in my last podcast, you heard me say that today I would be playing one of the talks that Bruce Damer gave in the U.K. last summer, followed by another talk by Terrence McKenna. Well, I've uh, decided to do them in reverse order and play the McKenna Talk first. And while I've got some good reasons for doing this, uh, uh, rather than waste your time with my rationalizations, why don't we just get to it? I'm uh, actually going to play uh, two McKenna Talks. One is about 40 minutes long, and the other one lasts uh, only about nine minutes. The first talk has uh, floated around the torrent sites for a while, and at one time, uh, was broken into several YouTube videos, although uh, they don't seem to be there anymore. The talk is uh, titled Angels, Aliens, and Archetypes. And as you may guess, it is largely about the phenomena of unidentified objects in the sky, or uh, UFOs if you prefer. The copy of this talk that I'm going to play right now uh, is from a box of cassette tapes that Terence McKenna left with a friend of mine not long before Dear Terence took leave from our little planet, and uh, my friend has digitized them and given me copies to play, but he prefers to remain anonymous himself, so uh, uh, anyway, a huge thank you goes out to him. Now, uh, should you have already closed your mind about these uh, unexplained events... You may want to hold your opinion open until this coming Monday, which uh, will be the 27th of September, 2010, when there's uh, going to be a press conference in Washington, D.C. at the uh, National Press Club, where six former U.S. Air Force officers and one former enlisted man will break their silence about an alarming intervention uh, by unidentified aerial objects at nuclear weapons sites, uh, and as recently as 2003... In some cases, several nuclear missiles simultaneously malfunctioned while uh, disc-shaped objects silently hovered nearby. In all, there has uh, been witness testimony from more than 120 former or retired military personnel about these unexplained intrusions into our nuclear stockpiles. And the notice I read about this press conference came from Reuters. And so I expect that this news is uh, beginning to get a little traction, so you might want to keep an eye out for it. And uh, what do I think about all this? Well, uh, right now I have a a number of different uh, working hypotheses about it, but no firm belief. However, uh, in a few minutes we're going to hear some of Terence McKenna's ideas on the subject, and uh, my favorite one of his uh, is when he says, or maybe there is another tenant in our building that we are unaware of. (laughs) I like that one. And uh, we'll hear his ideas about that possibility. So, uh, without any further ado, uh, here once again is Terence McKenna.
2: I'm aware of how late in the day it is, and I know some of you must be double-parked, so uh, I'll make this as uh, succinct as possible. This morning's discussion caused me to wonder uh, how much we would understand about electricity if our method of studying it was to stand on the tops of high hills and wait to be struck by lightning. It seems to me that's sort of the position that we're in vis-a-vis uh, the UFOs. We have no real theory, we have conjectures, we have fiercely defended hypotheses, but we have very little that is concrete uh to go on, it's almost as though the issue of the UFO were an onion, and as we peel the layers of the onion, we discover when we get to the center that there is nothing there whatsoever left. It reminds me that uh, if you cross an onion with a UFO, uh, what you get is a flying saucer that brings tears to your eyes and uh, so what i would like to do is just based on the notes i took uh, today to review what the options available to us are in terms of trying to get some kind of intellectual handle on this phenomenon and i'll move through them rather quickly uh, one possibility that i Pose is now out of fashion because it wasn't mentioned here today other than what Jacques said about ball lightning and plasmas is that the UFOs are somehow natural phenomena perhaps piezoelectric uh, forces that have an ability to interact with the delicate electrochemical machinery of the human nervous system to create an impression of hallucination or visitation, or abduction. That's one possibility. The more serious contenders, uh, as explanations, I think fall into three categories. Is it us? Are we being visited? Or is there another tenant in the building that we are unaware of? And uh, my own feeling about this tends to vacillate. I have had contact experiences. I have seen a UFO very close. I have met with entities from other dimensions and it has not impelled me to take a strong position. I paid very close attention when these experiences were happening to me and there always seem to be loose ends that, uh, argue against whatever hypothesis seems currently most attractive. And though Jacques didn't mention it today, I recall in his book, The Invisible College, he stressed the absurdity that seems to attend the contact experience. That if the contactee will truly tell the unvarnished truth, then there will be elements in the story which will make the contactee look like a moron. In other words, the invalidation of the experience is a, an inimical part of its structure, almost as though the entities were saying, well, you may tell this story if you wish, but if you tell it truthfully, you'll be taken for a fool. Well, there's nothing wrong with being taken for a fool, except that it does seal the phenomenon rather nicely away from the very sober ladies and gentlemen who are making their careers in some branch of science. They are not interested in investigating the kinky, the anecdotal, the possibly pathological. In preparation for this conference, I reread Carl Jung's book published in 1954 called Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. And to my mind, no one has really gone beyond Jung. He understood very clearly that uh, saying that something is a denizen of the psychic realm no way precludes it's also having uh, efficacious force in the physical realm, through the phenomenon which he called synchronicity. Uh, some of the points which Jacques made today about the nature of the medical examinations that are reported, they are absurd. They are unnecessary to be performed at our level of technology, let alone any future more advanced level that we might be asked to believe in. So if the UFO phenomenon is something that is coming from us, then what is it and what is it for? And I've given a good deal of thought to this question over the years because I tend to lean toward the notion that the UFO problem, like many subtle problems, is haunted by our own naivete concerning language. If I were to randomly choose, and don't worry, I shan't, five of you to come up here and each one of you would have 40 seconds to explain to the rest of us what an atom is, it would be preposterous. None of us know. I doubt there's a person in this room who can give an account of the atom that tallies with the quote-unquote orthodox description of the atom. there is a curious fuzziness about the most mundane parts of reality when we really attempt to magnify and understand them in the clear light of consciousness. How much more ambiguity there is then, naturally, attendant upon the examination of any kind of phenomenon, phenomena which are rare or tend to be fringy. So it isn't a matter of achieving consensus over the UFO. We can't even achieve consensus about what constitutes a decent souffle. So this, this passionate desire to drag us all under the umbrella of a single explanation is, I think, uh, missing the point. To my mind, if the UFO phenomena is something arising out of the super ego of the human uh, psychic organization, then we should uh, ask why. What is it doing? And I, I don't want to sound like a public relations uh, agent for Jacques Vallée, but to my mind, with the exception of Jung, Jacques is the only uh, commentator on the phenomenon who has really pushed the frontier back. To my mind, in The Invisible College, when Valet says, in looking at the effect, not asking the question, what is it, but what does it do, you very quickly see what the flying saucers are doing. What they are doing is eroding faith in science. They are an antidote to the scientific paradigm that has evolved over the past 400 years and which has led us to the brink of global catastrophe. So the notion being developed here is that within the structure of the human psyche, there is something like a governor, something like a monitoring circuit, which when a society begins to evolve in a pathological or lethal direction, phenomena can be induced not by the egos of men and women, not by their institutions, but by the overmind, the the collectivity of the human species, phenomena can be induced which are so corrosive to the ideologies currently in place that their underpinnings are cut away, their validity is called into question, and their programs for social development and control are invalidated and destroyed. Now, a perfect example of this is the rise of infant Christianity. If you'll cast your mind back to the situation in uh, the early years of the Christian era, uh, and imagine the mentality of a Roman aristocrat a person of power in Roman society. Their physics is drawn from democracy and atomism. Uh, In other words, they are thoroughgoing materialists. Their social theory is drawn from Epictetus and Plato. They are, in fact, extremely modern people by our own standards. However, among the gardeners and kitchen help and stable boys, there is news of a momentous event in the Middle East, a Jewish rabbi has triumphed over death and risen after three days in the tomb. Should the master of a Roman household have caught wind of this kind of uh, uh, superstitious talk among the help, he would have just dismissed it with a sneer. What a preposterous idea. And it is a preposterous idea. Nevertheless, The fact that an idea is preposterous has never held it back from making zealous converts. And within 120 years after the annunciation of the birth of Christianity, its missionaries were beating on the gates of Rome attempting to convert the emperor. Now I see a similar situation in the modern context that rationalism, scientific technology which began and came out of uh, the scholasticism of the Middle Ages and the quite legitimate wish to glorify God through an appreciation of his natural world turned into a kind of demonic pact, a kind of descent into the underworld, a nekaia if you will, leading to the present cultural and political impasse that involves massive stockpiles of atomic weapons, huge propagandized populations cut off from any knowledge of their real histories, uh, male-dominated organizations plying their message of uh, lethal destruction and inevitable historical advance. And into this situation comes suddenly an anomaly, something which cannot be I believe that that is the purpose of the UFO, to inject uncertainty into the male-dominated, paternalistic, rational, solar myth under which we are suffering. So, I suppose if you had to categorize this point of view, you would say I'm taking a depth psychological, psychoanalytic point of view. What I'm saying is that the UFO is nothing more than an assertion of herself by the goddess into history, saying to science and paternalistically uh, governed and driven organization. You have gone far enough. We are going to turn the world upside down. Your science is going to be shown up for what it is. Nothing more than a pleasant metaphor usefully extrapolated into the production of toys for healthy children. That's what science is good for. It is not some meta-theory at whose feet every point of view from astrology to acupressure to channeling need be laid to have the hand of science announce thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Now there is another possibility which uh, can be dovetailed into the first. It is that it is not so much the oversoul or the superego of the human species which is responsible for stopping scientific masculine paternalism in its tracks, but rather that, unbeknownst to self-absorbed and myopic human beings, we have always shared, or at least for a very long period of time, have shared this planet with an Other, another intelligent species, another entity, which may have been perfectly content to allow us to abide in our ignorance of its presence until the point where it came to its awareness that our uh, style was toxifying, ruining, raping and perverting the planet. And at that point, this thing springs into action with similar uh, end results as the previous scenario, the invocation of the superego it's astonishing to me that in the 45 years that the ufo are we being visited question has been kicked around i have never seen in any ufo uh... book or publication the suggestion made that if we believe we are being visited by organic intelligent life forms from some other dimension or place in the galaxy then we should very very thoroughly examine the ecology of this planet for traces of its presence. What assurance do we have that the several million life forms that we know to exist on this planet all evolved here? Do we have any assurance? There are ways to gain that assurance by doing uh, comparative DNA sequencing and this sort of thing. Some of you may know my own position, or one of my positions, which is that uh, plants and fungi containing psychoactive compounds are extremely viable candidates for extraterrestrial intruders into the environment of this planet. Uh, And this is not to put down Whitley's story, which is a very interesting story, but had he prefaced his story with the comment that before it all happened, he took five grams of mushrooms. I doubt he could have sold it to his mother. Because in the world where mushrooms and other psychedelic plants are imbibed, such stories are commonplace. It's No big deal. So I'm always amused by UFO investigators and compilers of data who will tell you, well, the first thing we did is we got rid of all the stories told by anybody who was intoxicated on anything. It seems to me that move has probably absolutely precluded any possibility of understanding what is going on. You see, culture is uh, something that we wear like clothes. We're very much at ease with culture. Our mind is very much at ease with culture. And we gather the language of a given culture around us. Culture is the mind unperturbed. When a shaman or an ecstatic visionary goes into the wilderness and through ordeal or yogic practice or breath control or the taking of a psychoactive substance, perturbs the mind then we see what the mind is out naked undressed from the clothing of language and convention that's why I've made this point over and over again there cannot there will not be a serious discussion of the origin of UFOs or for that matter of the nature of consciousness itself until we leave the utterly culture-bound, provincial, and Hick-like attitude that science has foisted on us about perturbing the mind. Without the use of psychedelic substances, I think solving the UFO dilemma is going to be uh, as thankless a task as attempting to understand the nature of the universe without availing yourself of the use of a telescope. It is simply tying our hands behind our back. Now, there is a third possibility, which is uh, the one that is the more commonly entertained notion, which is simply that we are being observed by intelligent life forms that evolved somewhere else in the galaxy. They have quarantined our planet to keep us from being agitated by their presence, and they will eventually uh, reveal themselves. I find this an extremely odious notion, especially the part about how much chaos there will be if the truth is ever revealed. This is nothing more than the reassertion of masculine paternalism. It's right to keep secrets from the rest of us. It's belief that there is a privileged all-male class of people who can be let in on what's really going on, and the rest of us, poor dears, have to be uh, shielded from these tremendously shocking facts. Uh, I discussed this once with an entity, and it said to me, well, you know, we've disguised ourselves as an extraterrestrial invasion so as to not alarm people with what's really going on. <laughs> We're getting close to the end, folks. There is a fourth possibility, which I mention only in the interest of thoroughness, which is uh, that these entities and their vehicles are not spacecraft at all, but are in some sense timecraft, and that we may be the tremendous sense of empathy with these quite physically unusual beings may arise out of the fact that we're looking into the faces of our great-great-great-grandchildren who may be emanating back through time carrying the message, a message, about some sort of future event or situation that lies many centuries downstream from us, but that is of such import that from that point Agents are moving backward and possibly forward through time, spreading the news of some kind of mode shift. This doesn't seem to me to be impossible. However, based on my own experience, which is what I think this thing really comes down to, because what we have in the UFO issue is an official position Supported by scientists, whether they be Neanderthal right-wingers or doctrinaire Marxists or whatever, a conspiracy of consensus against the, uh, personal experiences of individual human beings who are told, well, what you're saying happened to you can't have happened. You are insane, you are mentally ill, you are mistaken. So what we really have here is a political issue. Which do you believe? Your un, your uh, perceptions, memories, and expectations aided by your intellect or some kind of utterly abstract, official, doctrinaire, sexist philosophy laid on from above? So I think really what the saucers do, if you accept their presence, is they empower us. They empower us to see science for the shell game that it is, to see the past 400 years of Western culture for the pathetic narrowing of the spectrum of allowable phenomena that it is, to the point where people think that if you can't bang on something with a hammer, it isn't real which to me is just wild talk. I can't even imagine where that kind of this thing is coming from. So I think, and I'll just leave you with this final thought, that in lieu of the repression, and it is a repression throughout this century, of uh, legitimately available ways of exploring the modalities of consciousness, and by that I mean uh, psychoactive compounds, the repression of those compounds and their uh, use by science has created a neurotic energy dynamic in the mass psyche. And the mass psyche has begun to hallucinate because, because the destiny of human beings is to live in... The imagination in the hands of the goddess. And wherever that thrust is impeded, psychopathy will result. There will be neurosis. There will be psychic epidemic. There will be confusion. So I believe that until we, uh, form a resolution to conduct an unfettered and mature Exploration of the human psychology using all the tools available to us that the skies of earth will continue to be haunted by flying saucers. They will be, continu- they will continue to be haunted by flying saucers and their denizens because they are symbols of our infantilism, of our sense of loss, of our incompleteness. And we can heal that breach by simply recognizing that the true mystery lies within us. The true mystery is in the mind and its historical promise is the transformation of our society through the abandonment of reason as it has been narrowly defined by this extremely solar, masculine, paternalistic, materialistic legacy that we are the victims of. Well, I could talk for a long time, but I think that's it in a nutshell. Thank you, thank you. Well, it is late and my <laughs> voice is fading, but uh, my talk this afternoon was fairly brief and there were a couple of points I didn't cover. The area that I want to just spend a few minutes on tonight that I didn't touch on this afternoon is, what then is to be done? Tolstoy's question. Once we reach this level of admitting the phenomenon, experiencing the phenomenon, trying to talk with each other about it, what is to be done? How are we to translate the message coming from the other side into a concrete reality? that works for all of us, or is that a good thing? And my take on this, which is nothing more than my take on it, is that what we are involved in and with in the UFO phenomena is an extremely poignant and intense effort to end our alienation from the unconscious that we can no longer have the luxury of an unconscious portion of the human psyche, that that is an artifact of the childhood of our species, and that in fact the ending of childhood, anticipated brilliantly in Arthur C. Clarke's novel, Childhood's End, the ending of childhood is what we are experiencing in relationship to the alien archetype. As a species, we are coming into a kind of pubescent awareness of the presence of the other. Our childish historical concerns that were self-directed and self-indulgent no longer satisfy and a deep kind of yearning has come upon the species, a yearning for the confirmation of the presence of an other in the same way that an adolescent child becomes aware of and develops an extremely intense, highly charged, and ambivalent attitude toward the opposite sex. I think we are discovering in our own psychic structure the potential, the possibility, of a relationship with an intelligent species outside ourselves. And this raises for us all the tensions all the issues that accompany an adolescent love affair. How are we to uh, eliminate the human unconscious and come into our birthright as fully conscious enlightened beings? What is to be done? Again, my opinion is that what we need to do is to concentrate on the phenomenon of communication and the evolution of language. We have been far too naive about the role that language has played in the construction of reality at its center, let alone off on the fringes with the elves and the fairies and the UFOs. We need to test the envelope of language. We need to perfect the fine idea of being able to communicate with each other. At the moment, And I think we proved it at this conference. It's nothing more than a fine idea. I felt before I came to this meeting that we would all sit down in a room and make great progress in about an hour toward understanding the phenomenon. And then I discovered that we were all, including myself, heavily freighted with linguistic momentum, the power of our own metaphors to carry us past the opportunity to listen to what other people were saying. And so I think that what we are dreaming of is a common language, and what the saucers are attempting to teach is the modality of a linguistic transformation in the direction of a kind of communication that is not dependent on culturally sanctioned dictionaries, but that is in the bones in the neurons, in the synapses, so that the ambiguity which attends all our discussions about reality will be purged from our worldview. This is the essence of falling in love. One definition of falling in love is nothing more than lifting the veils of misconception between two entities and still being able to go forward towards some kind of union. So I really believe that we have moved so far from an awareness of the feminine portion of our psyche that now the thing dearest to us and closest to us must present itself in consciousness under the guise of an extraterrestrial or interdimensional invader. It's a comment on the alienation of our era and the way this can be breached, the way this psychic wound can be healed and a kind of species-wide individuality emerge is through taking control, conscious control of the evolution of language. This means paying a great deal more attention to what we say to each other, to linguistic intent, I think that the main legacy of the 1960s into the 80s was a legacy of language transformed in the direction of feeling. To me, the most shocking part of the male dominance of our worldview is the paucity in our language of terms that convey emotion. We have 500 words for uh, the components of a steering mechanism. We have five words for emotions. Each one of us is a swim in a concatenation of emotionally subtle wave phenomena that come and go just below the surface of our awareness. But if any one of us turns to another and says, how are you doing? The answer is fine, fine, yourself. <laughs> This is presenting a tremendous barrier to us to the expression of our wholeness, and I'm completely uh, willing to line up behind Carl Jung on the notion that the UFO is an expression of our longing for wholeness. In principio et verbum, et verbo caro est, in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh. In other words. If you were an actual extraterrestrial standing off in a spaceship looking down on this planet, you would not see the strivings of individual species. You would not even see the great classes of uh, organized organic life. What you would see instead is a gene swarm, a language frenzy, the coding of meaning in genes, in words, in architectonic productions, in poetry, what is happening on this planet is the self-reflecting uh, genesis of communication for itself. It is language, somehow, that is loose in our species on our planet, within and without the flying saucer. So, communication which we take astonishingly for granted considering the very basic kinds of needs that we communicate to each other, is actually the great frontier of our spiritual becoming. It seems to have passed right by us that we already possess a form of telepathy. That the, the miracle of communication involves the fact that I make small mouth noises and you instantaneously consult the culturally sanctioned uh, dictionary and out of your dictionary you construct a map of my linguistic intent and then through a series of grunts and nods we assure each other that we know what we mean. (laughs) So, in a sense, the I said this afternoon that the UFO was here to confound us, to confound science. On another level, like the psychedelics, it is here to catalyze a finer evolution of communication, to goose us toward a little tighter epistemic and ontological uh, definition of the business of communicating with each other. If we could refine our channels of communication, we would coalesce into the kind of omnipotent, uh, extra-worldly organism that we anticipate in our vision of the flying saucer. So I think really the flying saucer has become the guiding image of our own cultural evolution. We are going to live in the imagination. This planet is involved in a birth process. There is nothing unnatural about what is going on on this planet and there is nothing unnatural or inappropriate about us. It's simply that the planet has carried us to term. We are now ready to leave the womb and the womb is in danger of uh, toxemia if we in fact do not leave it. We have passed into a new kind of time where the separation of our species from the planet that gave us birth is a necessity for the survival of both parties, and like any birth, it is a moment of crisis. It can end in catastrophe, and perhaps the saucers stand off to perform a necessary caesarean if things really turn into chaos. Many contactees report an apocalyptic scenario involving the saucers taking everybody away in the wake or in the imminent uh, eminence of a thermal nuclear exchange. However. The mature way, the self-reflective way, the dignified way out of this cultural impasse, out of this global standoff, is for us to take seriously, on a personal level, the possibility of evolving our communications with each other so that we actually be- become the loving family of the goddess, the planetary organism that we all Feel ahead of us in the future, casting an enormous shadow back over the historical landscape. Eventually, and when is up to us, it will no longer be a higher dimensional object throwing a shadow into the flat dimensions of history. It will be instead a transcendental object made manifest. We are, in fact, on the brink of great changes. Yes, the UFO phenomenon has been around for hundreds of thousands of years, possibly, but nevertheless, it is somehow spun into the fate of our species. And the overwhelming image of self-transcendent flight, of return to a mandalic unity that transcends space and time, is the guiding archetype of our peregrination through history. So I believe that the UFO waits at the end of time in the same way that the individuated personality waits at the end of the ontological uh, development of the individual. And if we act in good conscience and with great faith in each other, we can in fact realize uh, the hope of the Irish prayer which says, May you be alive at the end of the world. Thank you. And good night.
1: <laughs> wow, so uh where can I go from there? That uh, has to be one of Terence's more dramatic closing comments, I think. Uh, I've been told that a great speaker never leaves an audience on their highest note, but uh, in this case, I'll have to disagree because I really like the way he ended this talk. But as a podcaster, uh, particularly since I don't feel up to adding my own comments after that rousing close by the Bard McKenna, I still don't want to end on such a high note. And uh, now I've studied some of the great West Coast DJs over the past few years, and I noticed how they kind of magically were able to change the intensity of the night by making a few subtle changes in their mix. However, uh, I'm not that good, so (laughs) what I'm going to do, rather than change the mix, is that I'm just going to uh, change the Terrence. In other words, uh, I've got a short bit that he did one night that I've uh, just been waiting for a chance to slip in here. It was sent to me by our fellow saloner, Brian Pitkin, and uh, it was in a folder labeled... 1991 Mannheim Psychedelic All-Stars and in that folder I found 20 MP3 files that averaged in time from 13 seconds to 48 seconds and uh, put them all together and it only runs about 9 minutes so I've kludged these files together for you and uh, here's how they came out
0: An hour ago, I didn't know I would stand on this stage, so before you give your attention to me, I'd like you to give your attention to the person sitting next to you, to the person sitting behind you. You see, political circumstances have forced us to camouflage ourselves. We look pretty much like everybody else, but an event like this brings us out of the woodwork. This is your community. This is your affinity group. Whatever you need, somebody in this room knows how to get it. So... (laughs) So it's not necessarily the four dicks on the stage that are going to lead you into a new world. It's what you do for yourself to make this inner journey. As Tim's mentioned, we've all been down in Linz thinking about virtual reality. And, of course, for an American to come to Germany is to think about the great changes that are happening here. And I kept asking myself, what is the uniting theme between psychedelics, virtual reality, and Germany? <laughs> <clears throat> and the answer is radical freedom. Yeah. Radical freedom. Radical freedom doesn't mean giving somebody the vote. Radical freedom means the right to take over and control our own destiny and the destiny of this planet. Radical freedom means recovering our birthright. What would you think if somebody attempted to take your sexuality away from you? In the suppression of the psychedelic experience The masters who make the rules have taken away a major slice of what it is to be a human being. This is intolerable. We have been robbed of our birthright by the frightened, the constipated, the narrow-minded, the stupid, and the afraid. Take back your mind. Take back your mind. That is the message. (laughs) Now, the psychedelic experience is always criticized, irrelevant, narcissistic, self-indulgent. No, the psychedelic experience is the replay of human history in the individual mind. If you don't know where you came from, you don't know who you are. Part of this movement into the future is a recapturing of the archaic, the ancient, the prehistorical. And Tim said it right. That's the Cro Magnon religion of orgy, psychedelic ecstasy and group sex. <laughs> well, how do we get how do we get from where we are to where we want to be? And why is it so difficult? Well, I think it's difficult because we have a lousy way of communicating. We communicate with words. Words are small mouth noises. (laughs) Small mouth noises are a very low-grade channel of communication. What virtual reality holds out is the possibility that we can create a language where we see what we mean. If we could see what we mean, we would have a kind of telepathy. Anyway, the last point I want to make, because I think this is very important. We all talk about psychedelics, the impact on ourselves, the individual experience. But what are they when you look at a million psychedelic trips? What does it do to society? What it does is it dissolves boundaries. It dissolves the ultimate boundary, which is the ultimate fakha, which is ego. Ego is something invented by frightened people 20,000 years ago as a way to suppress women, as a way to suppress sexuality, as a way to suppress the wonder inherent in the world. Psychedelics are catalysts for the human imagination. We were called forth out of monkey existence by the fact that we had strange eating habits. And the consequence of those strange eating habits is now a monkey can dream of transforming its collective soul into a flying saucer. This is the goal that lies ahead at the end of history. History doesn't go on endlessly fluctuating centuries into the future. History is leading toward the transformation of this planet in our lifetime. A cybernetic, biological, psychedelic being, the collectivity not only of humanity but of all life on earth is struggling to be born. The entire universe of matter is the womb of mind. And it is the task of human beings to lead the collectivity of humanity out of the labyrinth of matter and into the realm of the imagination. The imagination is where we're all going to live. The imagination is the only place where the human soul is at home. Well, listening to Tim, one thing occurred to me that I wanted to leave with you. And that is what this is all about in political terms is the empowerment of direct experience. We all are sold a bill of goods. Maybe you remember the Bob Dylan song where he says, it is not he or she or them or it that you belong to. This is what psychedelics teach you. We're not going to learn it from Der Spiegel, from Time Magazine. It doesn't come like that. Direct experience, your experience, your opinion, your feelings, your sexuality is the only real thing in your universe. Don't transfer loyalty to ideology, to money, to party, to friends, All of these things are outside of the core of your reality, and centuries of programming have been laid on to all of us to take away the power of our own direct experience. This is why psychedelics are illegal. They don't care whether people jump out of windows or any of that. They're not interested in public health they do not want people to take back their minds and we're going to take back our minds soon the sooner the better that's really to my mind the bottom line that's why this thing has potential world consequences because an empowered individual in touch with their own existential core can do what that guy did with the 18 tanks it was an idea that stopped the tanks and it was an idea expressed not over state radio not through the newspapers but by one person taking a stand you know a great american philosopher and i hope it was emerson said (laughs) no no it was emerson (laughs) said if you are right You are a majority of one. You are a majority of one. And this is what we all need to realize. We are responsible for ourselves and we will set the agenda for the human future. The mushrooms once said to me, you must have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you will become part of somebody else's plan.
1: You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. So, uh, do you have a plan of your own, or are you part of somebody else's plan? In my case, I guess it's a little bit of both. I like to think that I have my own plan, but I seem to have to keep adjusting it to fit the plans of uh, quite a few other people as well. But that's okay, because uh, he also said, We are responsible for ourselves, and we will set the agenda for the human future. And although I'm not sure I'm actually up for such a big challenge, uh, we'll have to think about that for a while, but uh, at least we can do something on a one-on-one basis with the people we touch each day, huh? However, I can't help adding uh, one more little thought here about the concept of culture, since uh, Terrence always seems to use culture as one of his main talking points particularly in uh, pointing out that culture is a cult. Now, I've had several exchanges with uh, people who take great offense at that idea, mainly because they are quite attached to what they consider their own very sacred cultures. So here's another way that you may want to look at it. And I'm taking this idea directly from an essay by Aldous Huxley, in which he expanded on a comment by Edwin Hubble in his own essay, The Role of Science in Education. And uh, there, Hubble said, "...our only assets, both for ourselves and our children, are the faculties with which we were born and the accumulated experience of past generations." And then it was uh, Huxley who went on to explain that uh, he thought what Hubble meant was, "...the accumulated experience of past generations is the thing that we call culture." Now, taken in that light, uh, is it any wonder that the accumulated experience of past generations of our ancestors in one part of the planet uh, haven't always migrated very easily and taken root in the middle of the accumulated experience of some others who have accumulated their own experience of uh, how to best live in that particular geographic spot? Now, I realize that this is a way oversimplifying things, but... I found that by thinking of culture as accumulated experience and, uh, not some holy right to be preserved at all cost and regardless of whether that experience is still valid in a networked world, well, for me at least, it helps me better to come to grips with Terrence's concept that culture can sometimes be a cult. Well, that's going to have to do it for today and, uh, so I'll close once again by reminding you that this and most of the podcasts from the Psychedelic Salon are freely available for you to use in your own audio projects under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial share 3.0 License. And if you have any questions about that, just uh, click the Creative Commons link at the bottom of the Psychedelic Salon webpage, which you can get to uh, via psychedelicsalon.org. And if you're interested in the philosophy behind the Psychedelic Salon, you can... Uh, Hear all about it in my novel, The Genesis Generation, which is available as a pay what you can audiobook that you can download through genesisgeneration.us. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.